Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we will be breaking down our top 10 men's and women's Division I college tennis teams heading into the 2024 dual match season. Of course, if you've missed our countdown of teams ranked 10, 9, and 8, all you got to do to catch up is scroll down in our Great Shot podcast feed. You can also hear our deliberation process in listening to our college tennis preview preview episode. Again, this month will be dedicated here on this podcast to preparing all of you college tennis fans for the start of another fantastic season. And on today's show, we continue our countdown in breaking down number seven NC State. Now, as promised, I'm shortening these intros. You all know the deal by now. We're recapping 2023, breaking down the roster, talking lineup, talking ceilings and floor, and so much more. Of course, as always, we'll also start with an update on the biggest news late uh, coming out, excuse me, of the college tennis world and joining me to do all of that as he does each and every episode here in our Division I Women's Top 10 Preview Podcast is a man all of you know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our shows, a man who has founded his own show, the No Ad No Problem Podcast, which of course started out as a blog. He's my co-host on The Deciding Point throughout the course of the regular season and my dear friend, John J. Parsons. Joining us once again, Jay. Hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. You ready to talk number seven, NC State? We are getting into the meat of these conversations. I'm excited to chat about this one in particular. I think we'll get feedback about this one in particular and maybe a way we don't normally get on some of other other episodes. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Very well said. And again, NC State's the reigning NCAA finalist. They were the only team to beat UNC last year. They've got a lot of returners coming back. And certainly you look over the last five years, perhaps no program has risen up the ranks faster nor more successfully than the NC State Wolfpack, led, of course, by head coach Simon Earnshaw. We'll talk about all aspects of their roster. Again, preview their 2024 season here in a moment. We do have... Not a breaking news development, but certainly something we want to start today's show with because it's a team we have already covered here on these podcasts. And again, what do we use these opening segments for? It's to play cleanup for anything we might have discussed in the past. If you listened to our last preview podcast, you heard us break down number eight Texas, a team who has obviously been a staple at the top of the game over the last five years, but a team that's seen a lot of roster turnover 
for sometimes the best reasons. Players going off to the pros. Peyton Stern's now a top 50 player, but certainly some players in and out of the door. And unfortunately for Texas fans, it's another player leaving Austin that we're going to discuss here today as sophomore Nicole Rivkin, no longer listed on the Texas roster. For those unfamiliar with Rivkin last year, 15-7 and seven in dual match play in her maiden campaign. Now limited 3-2 and two in fall action this year, but Again, someone we talked about, you'd expect her to hopefully be able to match at least those contributions from last season, probably given the depth they had projected to play in a similar spot in the singles lineup. It's a major loss for Texas. Now, it's worth noting, we'll call it the Blazebick now rule, as when he transferred from Florida to Tennessee, he was unable to play that immediate spring as he had participated in that fall for the Florida Gators. Rivkin played matches for Texas, so I would be shocked if we see her eligible. I'm not going to say it's impossible, because I've learned never to say that word as it comes to these things, but I'd be shocked if we see her this coming spring still. It's a significant loss for Texas, Jay. And it begs asking, would they be top 10 had we known this was coming? Well, first of all, I think I coined Blaze Bicknell rule. So I claim some responsibility for that. But yeah, I do think this is a big blow. And of course, it comes the day that we release our Texas episode. I think the reason it's a big blow is because she was in her sophomore campaign. And I think there was a lot of expectation on her ascension upwards in that Texas lineup. She had a great summer, a lot of good results on the ITF Pro results. She certainly has the power to continue to move up that lineup. And she's a known quantity for them at this point in a world where you might have some other questions. They're bringing in, you know, Charlotte Kempenier Poach, we talked about last time. I don't know where she will be in that lineup. And so to remove that known quantity, remove the kind of eight deep that I talked about now only going seven deep, I do think that's a big blow. I think having this information prior to our rankings, I am I would not have included Texas because at that point, it, too many things need to go perfectly for them. Whereas with the additional buffer of someone like Rivkin, that's a known quantity that I felt really good about. Yeah, it's one thing to lose the top player of your lineup. That's always going to impact our perceptions of you heading into the season. But to now lose two of your starters from last year, two starters you were really banking on having and continuing to develop over the course of the years. Again, both Nicoles, Kieran Rivkin, uh, no longer in Austin. They were both freshmen who had a lot of success for the Longhorns last season. You talk about eight deep to seven deep surface value. Again, that sounds like the best sort of problem to have, but it's to lose one of your top six. Like that's the key part here is it's a different sort of seven deep than that eight deep would have been. Or again, if you lose seven or eight from that lineup instead of someone who you know is going to be in that top six. I'm looking back at the rankings. Would I have kept Texas in the top 10? I probably say no as well because, again, there are a lot of teams where you know their six players. You know their starters right away who we have left off our list. Do I have to say the A word again? And we can leave that up to mystery what team I am referring to. But long-time listeners know uh, at this point. Well, I think I can say because we're at seven. We, we don't have Auburn in our top ten. I tried. I fought. I pleaded. Or I campaigned. It wasn't a plea because it was more of a campaign to make my case. Anyways. I just want to go on the record. There is no pleading or making the case. This is a factual exercise based on votes and ranking. That didn't happen. Well, your perception of the facts is wrong. I agree. It is a factual thing. But anyways, 
you look at a team like Auburn, that's the example I'm going to turn to just because you know all six of their starters coming back. You can no longer say that about Texas with nearly the sort of certainty uh, that you could even with just the presence of Rivkin. And so I still think they're going to be a top 16 seed. I definitely think this hurts them. You know, again, that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas race now. Does Oklahoma State become a clear-cut favorite? Oklahoma, again, it's certainly going to be a race, but you know now you probably wonder, is there only one top eight spot for the Big 12 instead of two, unless one can really make a national indoors push? It's a big loss for the Texas Longhorns. It's the biggest piece of news we have. So that is our lead. That said, Jay, we get to talk about the reigning NCAA finalists today. So let's do that next as we explore all things number seven NC State. And, you know, I've been trying to do this more at the start of these podcasts. Maybe it's because we've been in this journey for so long now, Jay, that it just feels worth providing perspective on what we've seen these programs accomplish over time. But I mean, again, watching this NC State team ascend towards the top of the women's game, it's been a very real experience, dare I say for me, as I was there again, 2020 National Indoors. They were the third best team. They were 18-3 and three in that campaign, uh, campaign. 2021, that team of Rogers, Smith, and a young Shelley, a young Rejecki, you know, Jade, uh, Jada Daniels, I believe, was on that. Am I wrong? No, well, I think I'm right. Rancelli was not on that 2020 team. No, no, 2021. Oh, 2021. Jada Daniel was there. She yeah, had transferred. Yeah, yeah. Yep, Rancelli. Yeah, yep, I still know the pieces. I just want to make sure go. I still got all my pieces. I was right. Yep. No, I, 2021, they make the final four. That group, I'm saying. Yes. It's their second shot at it. 20 and 6, first time in program history that happens. Next year, 26 and 6, they reach the Elite Eight. Yes, it's a step back from an NCAA round performance, but they're in the final site. They are competing in the ball game once again. Then you look at last season, 28 and 5 overall, SEC, uh, SEC, excuse me, ACC tournament champions, NCAA tournament finalists, another step forward for Coach Earnshaw and this program. And again, it's worth adding a component for a team that was so far out of the limelight for so long. There was a moment, February, March, when the Schneider experience was really getting underway, fresh off of Australia, where they provided a lot of spotlight for college tennis and convincing Diana Schneider, who was a top 100 player when entering college tennis, to maintain that commitment to come to school. She does. Obviously, there are a few hiccups here and there, but primarily the team rolling through the matches, having Schneider and yes, she never played NCAA individuals. Go watch what she did. Quarterfinals, semifinals, even how comfortable that finals were against Reese Brantmeyer. It was very clear. Diana Schneider was the best player in college tennis by the end of her freshman campaign. And again, you have that at one that would be a story in itself. What makes the 2023 campaign so remarkable for NC State is you had so many other pieces to that story. You had the Alana Smith come back from injury. You had all things Amelia Rejecki, NCAA single semifinalist ultimately. You had, again, Gina Dittman, Sophie Abrams, Renchelli, all these players playing really good ball at various stretches of the season. They made the NCAA Finals for the first time. And yeah, you bring a top 100 player to your roster, the expectations are elevated right away. So if your case for underperformance is they had a chance to win a championship and didn't, like, fine, I guess. 
But I don't know how you can look in the context and say anything other than overperformance for this program. Like they just continue to deliver the goods. So Gruskin, I know the ATP and the WTA have recently handed out their player of the year awards, which are always a fun conversation at the end of the year. Who would be your team of the year on the women's side in 2023? I mean, it would be North Carolina because they climbed that final mountain and they had been so close. Yeah, we saw the steady ascent, right, of North Carolina continuing to knock on the door and finally break through. And in many ways, we will remember 23 for UNC breaking through. But man, did NC State dominate so much of the limelight, the headlines, the conversation, and in many ways had that intrigue factor in a way that North Carolina didn't. There was one question for North Carolina, like, will they get it done? And that's been the same question for many years. From the moment Diana Schneider announced that she was going to college in the fall of last year, throughout her pro run in the fall, to her performance at the Australian Open, to smacking down UNC in the ACC championship to getting upset earlier in the season by Vanderbilt. Every week, this team, I think, had our attention in a way that very few teams do. There's a level of intrigue here and a level of just fascination that this team had. And it was a charismatic season for NC State in 2023. Very well said, and you mentioned it even in the losses like their loss kickoff weekend 4 3 to Vanderbilt. Yes, they didn't have Diana Schneider at the time. Oh my god, was it stunning! Like, talk about something they got again. They were the maybe I don't think the only seed, but certainly the highest seed to be upset that early in the event. And to not have that team at the national indoors just it was something we always had to check back in on throughout the course of the year because it was like, are they really not going to be a top eight seed by ranking? And it's where you got to give Simon, you know, a lot of credit for the scheduling that he did. They still had, you know, uh, South Carolina and Oklahoma, Tennessee, Cal. Ohio State on the roster, then you get to rack up all these uh, on the schedule, excuse me, then you get to rack up all the ACC, UCF, then you get to rack up all the ACC matches as well. By the way, you know, they lose to Duke 4-3 in Durham. That was a serious setback, a tough weekend in Carolina where they were on the road at UNC, at uh, at Duke back-to-back. By the way, they played Texas after that stretch, one of the most remarkable eight-day stretches you see on a calendar, not at a national indoors or NCAA team event. They scheduled well. They played a lot of big matches. Obviously, they also did the one thing no one else did in the 2023 season. They beat UNC, and they didn't just beat them. Like, they gave them a smackdown in that ACC final in carry. That was a 4-1 match where, with all due respect to UNC, they were never really in it. It wasn't like, oh, there were four three-set battles and, oh, you know, again, it was a break here or a tiebreaker there. No, it was a comprehensive NC State victory. And again, like, the Iowa State match was weird, but they 4-0 Stanford, all this hype going into the doubles point. And yeah, UNC wins that doubles point. A lot of first sets go the way of NC State. They are fighting, but North Carolina makes this rem- the sort of push you have to make to pu- push your program over the top. Again, they pushed Carolina to the very brink, and Carolina responded as ultimately a champion will do. But you're right. like That's why I go over performance. Like how This team was the story in a way you just wouldn't have—I ex- mean, maybe you would have expected, but they dominated so many headlines.
every week. And you said it, even in the wins, even in the losses, they also lost to Miami in a weird loss. Like they were ups and downs for this entire season where they looked fantastic. They didn't look good. They captured the attention of everyone following this. And we've seen that rise in almost entirely the Gruskin era, right? Which I like to say since 2018. And, you know, even the the UNC push has been much longer than that. It was a much more gradual ascension and then continuing to be at the top for so long. So it was a fantastic season for NC State. It captured the attention of the professional tennis world in a way that we haven't had in a long time with the intrigue of whether Schneider will play and the intrigue of what do you mean she's losing matches in college? And yeah, it was a fantastic season and it was the culmination of a lot of hard work, a lot of experience as in uh, Alana Smith, that her fifth year that, that they ultimately reached that, that inflection point. Yeah. And again, looking at the program, 10,000 foot view, Rogers having some success on the pro circuit, Negroho having some success on the pro circuit. Obviously, Schneider goes right from college to making all these semifinals and final runs at the tour level. Maybe she does that even without college, but I'll tell you what, she certainly speaks so fondly about her experience over the course of her five months with NC State. And yeah, I mean, again, that's in the past. I'm sure Simon Earnshaw would be the first to say that. We're focused on what's happening in 2024, but it's just worth talking about the progress this program has made. And we talk about this discussion some sometimes, Jay, when we're, you know, again, having fun. It's a late May or December sort of podcast. Who is the program without an NCAA title that is closest to knocking on the door now? And North Carolina was obviously that pick for the longest time. On the men's side, the Ohio State men were the two obvious cases. North Carolina has now knocked that off the list. On the women's side, like, is it NC State? Is it Pepperdine? Like, who? Because Pepperdine probably has the longer track record, but man, you look at the recent run for NC State and just the trend line, like, they're in that conversation now. Yeah, they've absolutely put themselves in that conversation. My mind immediately went to Pepperdine, given that we've, you know, when we talked about Pepperdine, I think you talked through Coach Perrin Nelson's record there. They've been consistently in the later stages of the NCAA tournament since his arrival there in the mid-2010. So you lean that direction. It's tough. It's it's one thing to reach the top. It's really tough to stay there. Uh, case in point, we're talking about an NCAA finalist who's now ranked number seven. So it's tough to stay there. It's tough to keep doing. It's different when you're hunting versus being the hunted. And that's the role now that NC State finds himself in. It's really well said. And why are they not number two, but down at number seven? Well, it's because obviously you lose someone like a Diana Schneider top 100 player in the world you lose someone like a fifth year with alana smith not just the institutional knowledge but let's be clear the last three seasons she played alana smith was a top 10 doubles pairing uh whether it was with rogers or schneider so you have that contributions at the top of the lineup even if you keep three through six that's a significant loss that this team is going to have to overcome now again What's worth noting is they did keep three through six from last year's squad. And obviously, you look for their players. It starts with senior Amelia Rejecki, who was probably the most improved player, the breakout player, dare I say, from last year's squad. Just to see her 
I, w- I don't want to say surpass Renshelly because I don't want to pit the two of their successes against one another, but a Renshelly who had just beaten Navarro in an NCAA quarterfinal the year prior, and you ask yourself, why would you put him in Round of Rege- 16. Round of 16, thank you. But you ask yourself, why would you put Rejecki in the lineup over Renshelly? Well, throughout the course of the season, we saw exactly why. Last year, 40-11 and 11 overall in singles victories. It's a program record. She just went 34-14 and 14 in doubles. Her and Nell Miller, exceptional from start to finish. All-American champions last year as well. Jay made a look. We can get into that. You Win healthy. They were very, very, very good doubles team. And you also just saw the weapons. Like the consistent development of, again, how she now implements the weapons that she always possessed, but the consistency with it, the movement piece, the movement forward piece, like just clearly got better. Is she ready to anchor the top of the lineup? She's pre, uh, you know, coming out of November. She's number three in the ITA singles rankings, Jay. How confident are you feeling about Rejecki coming off of a fall that saw her go eight and two overall in play? Well, I mean, congrats to her for being the highest ranked player in NC State program history at number three. I'm as confident in Rejecki as she is confident in herself. (laughs) And essentially what that comes down to is if she's going to trust herself in those weapons, then I'm very confident in her. The moment she starts to be not confident in those weapons that serve one of the better serves we have in the women's game, then things can go awry. She talked a little bit about that in my chat with her. So... I think she has demonstrated, look, she took out Fiona Crawley in the NCAA singles tournament. She took the racket out of Fiona's hands. She can have that ability against most players in college. So she is ready to step up to that number one spot. She has the weapon. She has the tool. And I think at this point, she has the leadership. As you mentioned, she's a senior and she's been around this program Yeah, the question is, will she be able to do it week in, week out with consistency against the very best in the conference? And again, had an unbelievable plus one event, beat what I think it was Fenning, Ansari, Jones, and Stoyana uh, Stoyana and Kantos. Come on now. That's a really, I'm not going to say a murderer's row, but there's not a single bad player in that list. And yeah, she gets knocked out by Sarah Hamner uh, at the All-Americans early. Beat Savannah Brodus, for what it's worth, in round number one. That's another good victory racked up. Her losses were to Hamner, and then 7-6 in the third to Ludmilla Benchik. I'm going to let that one slip. It's funny you mentioned that confidence. I mean, look, I don't play favorites. That's a lie. I play favorites, and the answer is everyone's my favorite. But Amelia Rejecki on that list because you're right. Having her for an interview, there's just an honesty, a candidness, and an enthusiasm that comes off of everything she does. And like you lose a top two like Schneider and Smith could do a lot for a leader, you know, again, to a culture, to a leadership to have to replace that void, that certainty that they provided. No, and all right, we're probably up 2 0 because we know Dai's winning and Alana's probably winning too. Oh, by the way, they're probably winning doubles at number one. And so we're up, you know, two and a half to zero. I think Amelia Rejecki is ready to fill that role at the top of the lineup. And here's what I'll say. There's go- like she's not going to match Schneider's record, you know. Schneider was- lost to what? Lee? Well, or- <laughs> oh, you maybe. think she will? Well, I what, mean, Schneider, Schneider, win- Schneider lost to Carol Lee. She lost to Lexi Noel. She lost to Chloe Beck. She didn't play that many matches because she only played like she didn't play the kickoff. Like and Mertena, right? Tennessee was the other loss, right? No, she won at Tennessee. Oh yeah, she won that match. Though, I think pretty losses. sure those are her three losses. Yeah, but she didn't get a lot of wins. Like, I, you know. 
but at the end, like, here's what I'm saying. Is she going to be 0-1 in Yepa Finova? Yeah, she, is she, like, she, that's, yeah. that's She's not the, the guaranteed win, right? That's what I'm saying is, yeah, there were some struggles, but still, three losses for a number one player. Forget that it's a freshman. Three losses is a ridiculous expectation to put on Amelia Rejecki's shoulders. When, by the way, she's still going to be playing a Crawley. She's still going to be playing a Carol Lee. Still going to be playing a Lex Noel. All these play whomever's playing number one for Duke. You know, week after week after week, you're going to see some really good faces it's also just worth mentioning. Again, I think Rejecki has probably earned that right to be number one. Who is going to be number two in this lineup is a fascinating question because they've all staked a pretty good claim. Now, obviously, Ren Shelley's been playing above the others, and she goes 13-7 and seven overall on the fall. Some notable wins that we can get into here as well, but certainly the breakout player was Sophie Abrams, who goes 16-5 and five overall in her fall. And you look for Abrams in terms of signature victories that she picked up over the course. What what would you say are the signature ones? Bridget Stammel over Auburn. That's a really good win. She beat Nicole Rivkin for what it's worth. Vandy. Beat, Bridget uh, Stammel of Vanderbilt. Uh, thank you. Beat uh, uh, Rivkin of Texas. Beat Carnicella of Auburn. Good wins over Rabman. Shavatapan. I mean, again, they're not like sure, you're playing number one in the lineup sort of wins, but they're all right. You have my attention wins. Yeah, and she pushed Mary Stoyana of Texas A&M to three sets. I think that's like a, a good loss. So The weirdest match, 6-1-1-6-6-1 or something crazy. It was like, what are we doing here? Yeah, but that has also been very typical of Sophie Abrams' career. She can be streaky. She can have you know, a string of losses. She certainly had that last season and she can go on a, a streaky win uh, streak. So I'm not that surprised by that scoreline against Stoyana, but absolutely a breakout fall for her. Most wins in program history for a fall uh, program. So that's a, a huge testament to her being a senior, also looking to step into that leadership role. And in general, this NC State team played a ton of tennis this fall they played 126 singles matches for comparison texas who we talked about recently only played 84 nc state played 50 percent more matches than texas so we have a lot of data points to look at sometimes that's good sometimes that's not not good in the case of sophie abrams she looked excellent all fall yeah, again, she's the breakout player, 16-5 and five overall, second-highest ranked uh, member of the Wolfpack team, Rench, uh, excuse me, Rejecki at 3, Abrams at 19. You also have Renshelly, 12-7 and seven overall. She's at 27. Zira Nova, the sophomore, who they'll be looking to step up 11-4. and four at num- She's at number 40. And then freshman Maddie Zampardo, one of a couple of players, tied at 116 after her 10-4 and four fall. Now, obviously, the player I didn't mention there off of last year's roster, Gina Dittman, 11 and 7 overall in the fall unranked but I mean man she was so solid down the home stretch at 6 for the Wolfpack another player transferring over from Northern Arizona the senior who last season uh, goes 28 and 11 overall 20 and 6 in dual match play again they've got real options Jay in those five uh, excuse me four returning starters let's just start with that group before we get to again a zero Nova or some of the other newcomers as well as doubles what is the you know rejecky one but what is what's the pecking order you're looking at behind that well that is the single biggest question facing yeah. this team is who plays two and three because they have a lot of players on this team and 
they have a lot of players that I would love to keep at four, five, and six mm-hmm. if I was Coach Earnshaw. For me, if we're looking at the point to watch, you like to go like lineup spot, and maybe it could be two, but I like to go player. And for me, it's Rinchelli. Mm-hmm. And this is a player who, as you mentioned, her sophomore year played number two for this team. She was 18 and eight the following season. Last season, she was seven and six at the number four position. And off of a season in 2022 where she ended world number 32, Emma Navarro's collegiate career, that's just not going to cut it. And she's in her final season here at NC State. And she just hasn't progressed the way that we've seen Rajecki continue to improve each and every season. If Rancelli is not putting up 2022 numbers, NC State's going to have some pretty big holes at the number two and number three spot. I will say there's one tough loss for her in the fall. Tough loss three and three to Brianna Schwetz. Outside of that, though, like you look at the losses, Contos. Five and six, not a bad loss. CB Moore, 14-12 in the third, not a bad loss. Stoyana, 10-6 in the third, not a bad loss. Straight set losses to Brantmeyer, Komar, and Yepafanova. Again, maybe you'd like to see the scoreline a little tighter. Not great losses. Uh, Not bad losses, excuse me. The problem is on the other end, what's the signature victory? She beat Arsenault. That's a good one. Wins over Kieran, Guzman, Arsenault twice, I should say. Is it number two, like a, a solid That's number two thing. resume? Yeah, I, right? I probably not. But oh, man, it's fascinating. See, for me, and we'll get to you know what I'm. I'm going to save that discussion for it. Well, it leaks in now, but we'll get to your MVP a little bit later. For me, the MVP, and yes, I look at lineup spots more than anything, is like the number four spot. Who's going to be number four of that group? Is it a Zampardo maybe who comes in as well? Because of what group though? I guess. Of well, I guess it's more number three than than four of that Abrams Renshelly. Like that third player, more than like she's the one who's got to be the the significant win count. I would say that's the one. If you're doing match calculus, maybe you're scheming for fine, not four, but three. But here's the really difficult thing. Yeah, if you like look this. at if you look at the stats from last season, their weakest spots were four and five. Yeah. Those were anchored by Rinchelli and Abrams. Yeah. Are we now in a world where we are asking those weakest spots at four and five last season to move up to two and three? I don't know how they make that work. So I don't think that those three players, despite being the three seniors on this team, I don't know if we can group those as their top three. I actually think you're going to need to look to some of these other players to make bigger jumps between now and the end of May. I will say, if you're beating Arsenal, Guzman, Kieran, as Rancelli did in a weekend, like that is top three stuff. That certainly is in that conversation. Again, Abram, 16 and 5. We, we already talked through that resume. <sighs> It's it's based off of one fall. And that's, that's, well, that's yeah, the thing. That, that's you're, true. It's a lot. So to you're go still on. moving up their weak spots at four and five to two and three. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's why I circle Rinchelli, because if she can go 18 and eight at two, then we're in the conversation. But it's tough to to base a lot of that. And let's keep in mind, the fall is very North Carolina centric. You look mm-hmm. at those fall, the fall rank spotlight, you know, that's played at carry. All Americans played at carry. These are courts that all of these players are super familiar with. I expect to see a lot of lineup chaos from this group. Yeah, I mean, again, at very fair, and that's why it's a, a fascinating team. 
I do think also the, the one you have to look towards is sophomore Anna Zirinova, who last year limited dual match action. She goes 11-4 this fall. Again, she's someone with a little bit more institutional knowledge than the bigger freshman class they brought in. Losses to Yarla Gata, Narun Dorn, Brant Meyer, Ziodato. No shame in that game. Wins over Redelic, Charney, um, Went over Barankova. It's not too bad given her experience. Also, Rosie Garcia Gross, she beats in three. She also had a fantastic fall of doubles. That's worth noting. Her and Sophie Abrams making the ITA All-American final. And for what's worth, this NC State team preseason already establishing themselves with two top 10 teams in doubles. Rejecki Zimpardo, seven. Abrams, Zironova, nine. Is Zironova a... Uh, in pen top six player for you like are you expecting her to be in that singles lineup this season does she need to be i have one person in pen in that top six and that's rejecki i feel like everyone else is we need to figure it out but you look at rejecki and she actually wasn't in that top six when they made the semifinals in 2021 she was on the bench and you look at Zyra Nova, same situation for her. Is their game style that similar? Not really. But I do think it helps to have that experience. And I do think she also had some good results on the ITF Pro Circuit. She is someone I would look to to say she could jump a Gina Dittman in that lineup to solidify her place further in the lineup. Then there's two big question marks for me. One is freshman Maddie Zampardo, who... I am quite intrigued by she resembles Anna Rogers very significantly, both in the height and the looks. And I think she has the game style and the weapons to be really impactful for this team. She got some decent wins in the fall. Uh, so we'll have to see. She could be more in the mold of a Rejecki where she's on the bench for, you know, the first freshman season and then starts to move her way up but yeah i i think zyranova has a good shot but again it's all question marks for me yeah and beyond that again you talk about that freshman class maddie zimpardo a blue chip kindly notes on the roster fourth blue chip in program history speaks to their growing esteem and more than anything an american blue chip this is a, a roster that's had a lot of foreign players but again now you're starting to see buy-in from all corners of the country. Transfers, Americans, international. That's when you know your program's working. They bring in Christina Paskowskis as well as Rhea Lee Coe, uh and Gabriella Broadfoot, the four-person uh, freshman class. Now, it is worth knowing Broadfoot, she's already ranked in those doubles rankings as well. Her and Abigail Renshelly, number 52. I believe they won a Futures together, if memory is serving me correct, uh, over the course of the summer or fall I mean, again, I'm never worried about the doubles point with this team. Even with new pieces that you're going to have to work in, they've earned that benefit of the doubt with what we've seen them produce on that side of things over the course of the 40, uh, over the course of these last five years. The question is, Jay, and I know we've kind of debated this already, but what's the pathway to four? Like, what's the match calculus? What's that MVP spot where you feel like, hey, if they're getting four, this is the spot they're got to be winning with consistency? Well, before I answer that, just two things. One on uh, Gabby Broadfoot. We have seen her debut. She's a former top 100 junior in the world. Results in the fall. Uh, okay, not great. That's another person that I feel like is just in this mix. Again, they have a lot of options, and I have no doubt NC State is a developmental program. They are going to develop these players to maximize their potential. So I have no doubt they're going to find the best six 
of this, and they've got a lot of options to do that. The one player we haven't seen any in college is Paskakis because she's been ineligible. So I think that's an open question for her, um, for them if we see her in the spring. So there's a lot of potential here, and they have a lot of uh, players that they can be working with. To me, it, I stand by what I said earlier about Rinchelli. If they have another season with Rinchelli putting up the results that she's putting up, this team is going to really struggle. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, again, doubles, you take the one. I feel like, okay, maybe not four. Maybe it's five. Who's that fifth player in the roster? And with what consistency can they be winning at that number five spot? Because you mentioned it. Maybe Abrams, Rinchelli, they were the weakest spots in what was otherwise a pretty impenetrable lineup uh, for NC State last season. Even then, again, it's not as though Rinchelli Abrams had bad years. It's just relative to some of their teammates' less good years. Who's going to fill that vacuum? Like, you can't have any regression there as well, Jay, right? And no, so who, no who you need that? to be excellent at yeah, 5 and 6. And so who is that fifth player? Is it Zampardo? Is it Dittman? Is it Zeranova? You know, how does that shake out at the bottom of the lineup? And again, it's a four-player freshman class. Let's say everyone gets eligible. If one of those freshmen contributes, seven feels right. If you can get two of them to click right away, now maybe that ceiling does start to inch a little bit higher. I will say if none of them click right away, now maybe, I don't want to say you get concerned about the floor in terms of dropping out of the top 16, but certainly a top eight seed would become a little bit more of a struggle given just, again, the depth, the consistency. I am fascinated to watch maybe this team compete amongst their peers at the national indoors, assuming they get there more than anything else, because again, yes, it's familiar faces, but they're all in new places, Jay. I'm going to stick with that number five, four and five spots. Like that's where I'm looking. There can't be regression there. So someone's going to have to step up. Yeah, there's a lot to learn about this NC State team. Yes, there are very familiar faces. There's just a lot of unfamiliar faces too. I mean, four freshmen players we haven't seen much of or players that we saw some at the bottom of the lineup last season. There's a lot to learn. I think they will get a lot better from January through May. So I think this could look very different, uh, that NC State team in indoors versus the NC State team in the spring season. But I still think, like, they just, they need to find a way to close the holes at two. Yeah, well, we'll get opportunities again to see them tested. You look right away, they're going to, uh, excuse me, SMU before the kickoff weekend. So at least again, we'll get to see the balls rolled out, see how this lineup looks, what roster choices are made. Then, you look at their kickoff weekend, they'll be the comfortable favorites. They're welcoming Iowa, Clemson, Alabama, although you, are you making a face at me? For well, come on. The Boomer versus Simon rematch of that oh, NCAA final. I didn't even put that together. I'll tell you what. I don't hate Alabama's roster either. Like Ludmilla Ben-Sheik at the top, it's a comedy. Yeah, she could get another win over Rejecki, oh, beat her in the fall. That's what I'm saying. And So, so there's definitely storylines in that kickoff weekend. Yeah. we're Again, I think they get through. And I think they get through comfortably, but not like easily. Comfortably, but not easily. And so we will be watching that one. But then again, whether it's that, they've got Alabama again on the schedule, by the way. Oh, no, excuse me. That is the kickoff weekend. Then they've got Tennessee, uh, Michigan, Oklahoma, before obviously the full ACC slate of matches. 
what's the inflection match? What's the opportunity you're most looking forward to watching for these Wolfpack? Well, there is this is a clear cut choice for inflection point. Before I say that, though, NC State has had Texas on the schedule the past few years. They do not have Texas this year. They seems to have been replaced with Michigan. I have no idea why, if you're NC State, you would agree to go to Michigan after indoors and play in Ann Arbor in February. That makes no sense to me. But with that said, the obvious choice for inflection point for this NC State team is at Oklahoma February 25th. The reason for that is that this is not a match that is right out of the gate. You'll have at least kind of two months to work some of these newer faces into this lineup. You get tested on the road at Oklahoma, and it's before the ACC. I think these are two teams that are pretty similar in that you could basically roll the balls out, and I don't know, whoever plays, wherever they, whatever court you find yourself on, that's what you're playing on. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, will tell us a lot about how good this NC State team can be as they begin their ACC stretch. Yeah, I think that's very well argued. I would point out they get Duke, they get North Carolina at home this year after going on the road last season. Now they'll have to go to Charlottesville for what it's worth. Yeah, the Oklahoma match at Oklahoma, especially because, again, you get to leak into those big 12 points, which are always a little bit more valuable given Texas, Oklahoma State, all favored to make the national indoors as well. So you get to spread those tentacles. And what is, I don't want to say, a worse, well, I will say a worse ACC conference than it has been these last few years. It's not as guaranteed like every match you play is going to be a top 25 match, right? And so I also think it's always worth working about the point distribution, particularly if you want to be a top eight seed. Well, if you get second in the ACC, I don't think you're going to be worried about a top eight seed. There's going to be plenty of top 25 wins to get keep in mind they're going to indoors they sprinkle some Tennessee love in there so look if they win the matches they're supposed to win then anyone who finishes second in the ACC right now is probably going to be a top eight seed that's fair but here's what I would respond to that I think all five power five conferences produce a top eight seed I think whoever finishes second in the SEC this year is in for sure And right there, that's six. And again, that race for seven and eight becomes a really tricky spot. I probably lean ACC number two just as from a comfort standpoint, but like they could be beating each other up this year. And I also do wonder, I mean, again, like a a Pepperdine, if they have a really good national indoors with how they typically schedule and dare I even say with how deep the SEC is this year, what if this is a three-year SEC season like we've seen sometimes with the ACC in the past? I like That's why you got to go spread the tentacles conference-wide. And they did. Yeah, exactly. Well done. Yeah, to your point. I'm accentuating (laughs) your argument, Jay. So then final topic, ceiling floor for this team. Let's start glass half full. What's the best version of this team look like? You know, I want it to be sold into a semifinal ceiling here. I just, I I haven't seen enough. You know, we've seen a lot and I didn't see enough of a breakout from those new faces in the fall to feel like I could go out on a limb and really say semifinal is the ceiling here. 
it could very well be true. I expect these players to all get better from January to May. I think right now this is a quarterfinal team. I do not think they'll fall below the round of 16. I think they have plenty of players, all of good enough talent to find themselves within the top 16. They have a Rejecki at one. They'll be good in doubles. So I think it's a pretty tight floor and ceiling for this team. Yeah, I here's the thing. They've got four seniors, Dittman, Abrams, Ranchelli, Rejecki. Four seniors who, by the way, have made the NCAA quarterfinals or further in every tournament that they've played. Yeah, That is the standard. I think if this team gets to the quarterfinals, even if they lose that quarterfinals match, yes, it would be crushing, but I think you have to consider that a successful season for this group, particularly given, again, yes, you have four seniors, but you lost one and two off of last year's roster. I think that's the median, like quarterfinals is where I expect to see this team because to your point, they are going to execute well. If there's a weakness in the lineup, it will be addressed. It will be developed. They need one of their freshmen at least to click right away, like just straight up by facts. That's how rosters work. They need one to click right away. Zampardo is highly touted. Was she a top 10 newcomer? No, I don't think so. Yeah, and so again, like even right there, she's a blue chip recruit, but I here's the difference. If you're asking her to play five, that's an interesting proposition for me. And if she is one of those blue chippers, she should be able to experience success right away. I quarterfinal again, I like I just feel like the ceiling and floor just feels quarterfinals. Just feels like this <laughs> is the definition of a quarterfinals team. A team that wins tight matches against good competition when they need to to put themselves in a position to be a top eight seed, get to that final site, and then you roll the balls out and you hope Rejecki has one of those days that you get a doubles lead 1-0 and that that totality of pressure that you put on opponents plus experience can get you to a semifinal. Like, of course, I still think a path to a semifinal is there. I hesitate to say final because look at the top two teams. Um, but that would be my argument, Jay. Final words on all things number seven NC State go to you. I think they'll probably be riding the vomit zone of that like seven through 12, like all season. And so I do think it's possible that they find themselves on the outside looking in of a top eight seed and have to go on the road for the super regional and then therefore might fail to make the final site. But certainly, uh, it's a really good point you make with the four seniors that they have, all who have made the NCAA quarterfinals or farther, except for Gina Dittman, who transferred in. But the point still stands. That is the expectation. They are looking to lead their team to another historic season. You have the final word on NC State. Well said. I'm going to have the final word here, though, with a joke. What if, because... His dad, he runs the numbers. Like, he would have the formula to project this. What if Simon knows I am going to be the number 10 seed this year? Michigan is going to be seven. I want my girls to be comfortable in Ann Arbor. And that's why he scheduled <laughs> the post-national indoor Ann Arbor stretch. Because, again, the formula is projected, Jay. It's not impossible. That's what I'm saying. It's not impossible. Yeah, as scholars would argue. Anyways, that's your preview of number seven NCC, your reigning NCAA finalist. And again, a team with all sorts of momentum moving forward as a program, of course. The best part about wrapping up these podcasts is I get to tell you, we got plenty more previews to come. Still six more teams for us to break down as we prepare you for the start of the 2024 season. Now, of course, in case you haven't caught note of things, 
by now, caught wind is probably the better expression. Monday's going to be the ATP Challenger podcast still on this feed. But Tuesdays and Thursdays, it will be myself and Chris Halioris talking men's top 10 teams. Wednesdays, Fridays, it will be myself, John Parsons, doing our top 10 Division I women's preview. So that's our schedule moving forward until we get to our top team, until we have college tennis in our hands. And again, we are about a month away from the start of a new season. I know I'm excited for it. Jay, I know you are as well. What are you guys up to at NOAD? No problem to get ready. Well, two final things. One, there would be no ties on the women's preseason rankings. I will just say that. (laughs) The three-way tie for number eight, that is um, some cop-out behavior. That's number one. The second thing, all over on NOAD, no problem. Uh, We released an interview with Cannon Kingsley of Ohio State talking about his decision to return for his fifth year. Uh, and their hopes of winning their first national championship. We also have an interview coming out uh, soon with broadcaster Mike Cation. Really fascinating conversation about what he sees as success as these college players transition to the pro tour. So some fun interviews coming down the home stretch and uh, looking forward to more preseason content. The Podfather making his first appearance on No Ad No Problem. I look forward to listening to it. Yeah, Cannon's the nicest guy in the world. You look like you're going to say something. Well, I was going to say, you come up in the interview with Mike Cation. Oh, do I? that. You do. On the record. Oh, that's wonderful. I always want to hear that. I'm sure the word excited was used at least five times um, because I feel like that's his adjective de jour in describing me. I think it might have been hot take, but similar vibe. (laughs) No, I've retired from hot takes. I I can't (laughs) do them anymore. I'm not sizzly as a human being. Um, It's why I had to start my own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) you. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, with all that said, uh, I thank you to you, as always, for taking the time to join us. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, as well, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Again, go check out the No Ad, No Problem podcast with Jay. If you're not, you're just not enjoying college tennis as much as you could be. With all that said, though, for now, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.